You are listening to History Man, a platform for historians, authors, and curators to tell their story of the American Revolution, where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. We're here again with Richard Allen Morris, a retired Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Air Force, and Vice President of the Piedmont Region's Sons of the American Revolution, and volunteer at the 96th Historic Site in South Carolina. So we are in this story. We're now the race to the River Dan with Cornwallis, right? Correct. Trying to get a hold of Nathaniel Green. Correct. We've got Daniel Morgan, um, you know, part of that. They're, they're racing to the Dan, and Cornwallis is trying to get right behind them. He's burning his baggage. But while that's going on, you got all these little fires, pockets of, of, of things cropping up everywhere that your guys, Kruger at 96, and... Uh, Brown, Brown at Augusta. Brown and Augusta, and then you have uh, uh, Rowden at Camden. At Camden. Trying to put out all these little fires behind Cornwallis as he's leaving the state chasing after Nathaniel Green. So tell me about what's happening here at 96. Okay. 96, uh, of course, Kruger says, the engineer's showing up. They're, they're working on the different forts. Uh, he's still going under the mantra that Cornwallis gave him that this is the key to the upstate. As long as we can hold on to 96, we can control South Carolina. That was kind of the philosophy. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Kruger is doing. He's building like, he's building like a crazy person. So, now, so I'm going to stop you right there. At Camden, you had outposts. You had Camden as the main main post, but you had outposts at Rocky Mount. You had outposts uh, at Hanging Rock. What were your outposts here at 96? So Orange, Orangeburg, Monk's Corner. Okay. Coming out of Charleston, that's the way they would come to 96. They wouldn't go through Camden and up around that way. They'd come up through Monk's Corner, Orangeburg to 96. And in between Orangeburg, Monk's Corner, and 96... Open country. Is that right? There were no fortifications. And so they relied upon each other. Camden, Augusta, and 96 relied on each other as far as support. So, of course, uh, after the battle of uh, the second battle of Camden or the battle of Hopkirk Hill, Green turns his attention to the South, South Carolina again. Cornwallis goes off to the coast to refit. Like you said, the race of the day and he lost. Right. Guilford Courthouse, he didn't lose, but he lost so many officers. He expended so much material. Uh, he had to go refit basically his whole army before he could do anything. And so he flees to Wilmington, and Green turns south and comes comes to Hobkirk Hill, just north of Camden, where he fights Ralden. Okay. Now, Green's one of those officers that never won a battle, but he won the war. The reason I say that, and you'll hear, after the battle of uh, Hobkirk Hill, Green retreated and regrouped. Ralden burned Camden to the ground and, and retreated back towards Charlestown. He ended up Monk's Corner, and, and he had troops kind of scattered in between. But he went back there. He sent Ward to Kruger to close up camp at 96. Okay. He said, I can't support you. You're too far away. If you get in trouble, you're on your own. All of those messengers that he sent, and he sent several, were all intercepted by Patriot forces. I think that's, that's interesting. Buchanan talks about that in his book, but uh, I think that is interesting to know and something that's kind of glossed over. We, we rely so much on phones and radios and stuff now. You know, it's even satellite. We're, we're communicating the satellites and then it comes back across on the other side of the world. I can pick up a phone right now and call someone in Turkey and talk to them real time, right? 
Back then, we were relying on 15, 16, 17-year-olds to get on a horse or on foot and go, go communicate a message. And they were being intercepted right and left. Oh, I couldn't get through. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Cornwallis actually sent additional cannon to Kruger. The cannon never got here. Is that right? They were intercepted. He had three three-pound cannon that he had. And he sent Cornwallis, I need more cannon. Well, Cornwallis sent him some cannon, but they never arrived. They never arrived. Never arrived. But after Rawdon left Camden, he sent word to Kruger to close up shop and go to Augusta. Okay. So now you, you can see what's going through his mind. Maybe we can hold on to Georgia. Right. <laughs> Georgia right. and Charleston, right? If you fort re join Burntfoot Brown at Augusta, maybe we can hold on to Augusta. So, so they are really consolidating their forces back into Charleston, Monk's Corner, Augusta, and Savannah. It's almost like a little triangle there, right? That is correct. And and they're they're giving back the rest of the, the rest of the oh, state. Me, meantime, all these little forts start to fall. All these right. little pla all these yeah, little places. Fort Mott. Fort Mott. Granby. Georgetown. They pull out of Georgetown. Granby falls. I mean, all these little forts between Sumter, uh, Marion. And uh, Light Horse Harry Lee, who's now joined Marion and taken some of these forts, uh, all these little forts that they had are all slowly disappearing. Now, what happens with that is all these loyalists, local loyalists, are now turning their hats around <laughs> and, jo and joining the Patriots because they don't want to leave their land, they don't want to leave their properties and all this other stuff that they've been here for a while. So the Patriot force is growing, the loyalist force is de decreasing. From the local population so that's what that's kind of the dynamics that's happening right now green of course uh, after all these other little forts have fallen and he finds out that augusta is under siege he sends light horse harry lee with his legion about 150 guys plus a cannon to go down to augusta to help him take augusta he in turn heads north well kind of northwest to come to 96 because that's the only two big forts left in the upstate and if he can take those now everything's back down right. to the coast and so he heads this way on, uh, on May 21st, he shows up in a driving rainstorm outside 96. He comes down down that old road coming down from the north that crossed the Saluda River. So he shows up with his force. He has uh, about 2,000 guys, so to speak, between the militia and the Continental troops he has with him. Now, all Americans, the only foreigner he has with him is a guy from Poland, a guy by the name of Kosciuszko, who was an engineer under Washington for several years. Washington had sent Kosciuszko south when they regenerated that Southern Army. And he caught up with Green when he was up, up in Hillsborough. He joined the Continental Army, Southern Continental Army in Hillsborough, and he's with Green here. Well, as they come on, of course, all three forts that Kruger has established are done, basically. And so... So when you say done, Kruger had left them. He did, did he destroy them? No, no, he's still here. Kruger's still here at night. He's still here. He meets Green coming down. Okay, all right, very good. Because his last words were, Hold the fort at all costs. It's the key to the upstate. Okay. None of the messengers from Ralden have gotten through. That's right. They didn't come through. All right. Very Nobody good. came through. Ralden, after he gets back to Charlestown, finds out that Augusta's under siege, sends word to Kruger again, and says, don't go to Augusta. Come to Charlestown. Retreat to Charlestown. Burn everything. Destroy the forts. And come to Charlestown. Nobody got through. He didn't get that message either. Nobody ever got through. So, so he's hanging out. Kruger's hanging out here in the wind. Basically. Right, right. He can't talk to anybody because when, when Green shows up, cuts off all communications, anybody coming and going. All, a lot of the loyalists now have come into the camp. So the force has grown. He had about 500 uh, troops out of New York and New Jersey. But then he adds 
We don't know how many because they didn't keep track of all the militia guys. So there's anywhere from a 500 to 1,000 militia guys that show up. And so the forces are just about equal. You see what I'm saying? And when they square off, when the battle finally starts. Green arrives with his force on the 21st. Kazushu takes a look at the Star Fort and he makes the determination on the 22nd that the Star Fort is the place that they need to take. Of all three forts, of course, the town's kind of protected by the Star Fort. You'd have to come in from the other direction. The one across the river, why? It's a stockade fort. I mean, it's, but he decides if they take the Star Fort, the other two will give up. You say across the river. You're talking about the stream? The stream, I'm sorry. The, yeah. the spring yeah, okay. between the town and the farm. Fair enough. Now, what Kruger had done was he'd closed up the fortifications around the town. He built redoubts in front of the, in front of the jail, which overlooked the spring. And he manned people there to protect that water supply. He dug trenches between the water supply and the jailhouse. He dug a trench between the Star Fort and the town. He dug another trench between the farm fort, which was called Holmes Fort, after the farmer that owned it. He dug a trench to them as well so they could get to the water supply. And they could move people back and forth without being shot. Now, was it a deep trench? No. We're talking four foot? Three feet. Three feet. Three feet. So Two. it's not like they can walk straight up. Oh, no, no, no. They piled the dirt on the side, so okay. it was probably a little bit taller. But about, and, and the average height back then was 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, They're definitely crouching. Oh, well, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. They, they didn't really. And uh, it's about two feet at the bottom and about five feet at the top. It's built like a, a, a V okay. because, of course, you're carrying stuff. And so right. they made it a little bit bigger at the top. Uh, some of the fortifications, uh, I can go through the fortifications at the fort. Um, land was clear within a, a mile of the town. There were no trees. The town of 96 was stockaded. Uh, they had two blockhouses they put in the town. Eight Which to if you were to go to 96 now, there, there are a lot of trees around there. You're, correct. You're going to have to envision correct. all those trees taken down. That is correct. Okay. That is Much correct. like Camden, when they, when they took over Camden, they just decimated a clear field of fire. Field of fire, absolutely. Around, around their, their base camp. And it went for a mile. Yeah. It went for a whole mile around the place. The trench around the town was 8 to 10 feet deep. Uh, they put an abatis. An abatis is basically when you top, top the trees that you're using in the fortifications, you sharpen the bigger branches and stuff, and you stick it in the ground. I call it a brush pile because that's what it looks like. They stick them on top of each other. That's about 30 yards in front of the town that they put this brush pile all the way around. So if you're going to attack the town, you got to go run through a brush pile first, run through this trench up the side to get to the fort. So it's, it's, a, it's a, quite a thing. Uh, the jail was fortified, redoubts constructed next to the spring. Holmes Fort, which is on, on the other side of the spring, uh, they put a stockade around all the buildings. They built two blockhouses. They dug a trench around it. They put phrases. Phrases are basically trees that they've sharpened the ends of the trees and stuck them in the, in the, the dirt around the fort. So you have this, this uh, ring around the fort. And then they uh, put an abatis, of course, around that fort as well. The Star Fort, they dug a trench eight feet deep. The trench was 20 to 30 feet wide. It's, that's what, what it doesn't look like at the park. They, they got a little trench around it, but this trench was 20. That's where they got all the red dirt to build the fort, the Star Fort. The Star Fort itself was 10 to 12 feet thick, packed red clay. Not wood, red clay. It was six feet high. So you got an eight-foot ditch, six-foot high of clay. So now you're talking 14 feet. If you get in the ditch, you still got to go up the side of this clay, clay cliff for six feet. They piled sandbags on top of that another three to six feet. And it was basically an earthen castle. Correct. Right? Correct. And it was built in a star so that you could have crossfire from every point of that star. That is exactly right. 
Of course, it had phrases on it as well. The pole stuck in the side of the, the side of the dirt. They had an abatis at 30, 30 yards, and then they uh, later had would build a traverse inside the star fort itself, which was 12 feet tall, which is basically just a mound of dirt, which would kind of protect them from to get up to the wall of the fort back and forth. That's right. And that is all there. The traverse is still there. The wall of the fort is the original fort that was built in 1781. It's kind of deteriorated, of course. Uh, the trench had been filled in, but there's a little trench there that indicates there was one there. So all that is original. That One of the only original dirt forts that exist from the Revolutionary War. Maybe getting ahead of you here. Oh, that's but, okay. Uh, when they laid siege to that star fort, didn't the occupants of the fort try to dig out a well? They absolutely. They went down 25 feet. Never hit water. 25 feet, they dug a well. That hole is still there inside the fort. If you go inside the fort, you can see the hole. It's filled in a little bit, but they got it roped off and it marked. It said, this is a well that Kruger tried to dig when it, once the water supply disappeared. They couldn't get to the water supply at the spring. How many people were in that? In About that 200. Fort. 200 people in that star fort? Yeah, between 150 and 200 is what they, what they would put in that fort. Now, General Green shows up, of course, and they decided they're going to do a siege. Sieges. Parallels, in other words, they dig trenches that are in line with the fort. They connect those trenches with what they call saps. The guys that dig are called sappers. They uh, also would bring forward cannon. The closer you got, you keep bringing your cannon closer and closer to, to because it's more effective the closer the cannon is. So there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on, but there's going to be a lot of building going on as well. Meanwhile, they've surrounded, of course, the area. They're not allowing anybody in, nobody out. The locals still come and go. Uh, they're selling food to the different soldiers and stuff, and th that kind of occurs. And one thing that Green was told was that they did have access to water, that there was access to water in the town and in the fort. And so he really didn't cut off the spring from them going down and getting water from the spring because he said, what's the point? Because you'd have to get pretty close and you might get people killed. So he just kind of stayed away from all that. So they dig the first, they start digging about 70 yards out, and they're going to put a cannon there. In World War One, when they, the sappers they used, and even in the Civil War, they used people who were used to digging in the coal mines and things like that. We didn't have that here. None of these guys. They tried to use the local slaves that they could get from the farms and stuff. They'd basically take those slaves and we'd, would uh, use those to dig the fortifications, both sides. And that's just what was done because at that time, slaves were treated as property. And, mm -hmm. and really, you know, that, that part didn't end in. But they also had to use their own troops who... A lot of it, you know, farmers and stuff, but this is all new stuff for them. Now, what happened on the, on, the, uh, on the 23rd, they're digging a fortification to put a cannon in. It was about 70 yards out. Why 70 yards? Because now they're within range of the three-pound cannon that Kruger had. He had three three-pound cannon. They're in range of the rifles. They're in range of everybody, except for the muskets, of course. But they're digging this thing, and they're going to build it up, put a, put a cannon there, and start shooting at the fort. Well, on the 23rd, Kruger sends out a raiding force, of course, in the middle of the night raise these the structure that they're building at night because remember there's no cover mm -hmm. so these guys are building this thing at night and uh, hoping that nobody shoots them these guys show up and they they have a hand-to-hand -hand thing the guys that were digging of course drop their tools and run back to their the lines up to the north the slaves don't run they're not part of the army they just stay there they just stand there and these guys are all fighting each other and they're just kind of standing back watching these guys fight right so when they get done fighting kruger's men take the slaves and the digging tools and go back to the fort <laughs> they had one guy killed. It's almost like a Monty Python yeah, thing, yeah. except it's very violent and very dangerous. And they had one loyalist that was killed in that attack. It was a lieutenant that was leading the attack. Is that right? Yeah. And, of course, a couple of the patriots were killed as well. 
So they give up on that. They start a new parallel, but that parallel's approximately 200 yards away from the fort. They deal an approach tense. They build the parallel. That happens by June 1st. They completed the first parallel. Green, remember, had sent a, a cannon to go to Augusta with Light Horse Harry Lee. So he still has three six-pound cannon, but that's all the cannon he has. They open up a battery just to the east of where they're digging, and that battery starts firing at this fort. But, of course, they soon realize that that clay, 10, 12-foot clay fort, the cannonballs are just not going anything, not doing a lot of damage. You know, reinforcing the, reinforcing <laughs> the fort walls as they do it. So what they decide to do, they need to build the cannon up. So they actually make platforms 20 feet tall, put the cannon, drag the cannon on top of these platforms, out of dirt, of course, on top of these 20-foot platforms, and are now firing over the fort. And they're still founding, about two years ago, they still found a six-pound cannonball on the back wall where it had sailed over the really? fort and lodged itself in the back wall. And, uh, but they're still not doing much destruction, if you know what I mean. So you got all this going, all this digging going on, plus, plus the surrounding of everything. On the 8th, by the 8th of June, they've got the second parallel done. They've got the first parallel done. They've got the trenches connecting them. Light Horse Harry Lee shows up from Augusta. Augusta has fallen. Augusta fell on the 5th of June. So three days later, he shows up with these 150 guys. He's bringing the cannon with him, of course, that he'd, he'd taken to Augusta. And in that evening, a guy by the name of Pickens, who had signed the parole originally when they'd taken over South Carolina and then had rejoined the forces, had fought at Cow's Pens, now he fought at Augusta, and now he shows up at 96 with 400 militia guys. Of course, Light Horse Harry Lee looks at General Green. He goes, how come you're not attacking Holmes Fort? It's made out of wood <laughs> as opposed to this thing. And General Green says, okay, you go get it. So he does. He sends, he sends Light Horse Harry Lee and, and Pickens over to the Holmes Fort, and they start digging trenches and uh, attacking this fort. Of course, when his six-pound cannon shows up and he fires cannonballs against that stockade fort, which is made out of logs, splinters start coming out. And he's making holes, holes in the side of that fort like, like all the time. So, but he's got the Holmes Fort, Green's got the Star Fort, and, the, and they kind of leave the town alone. In the middle of all this, they complete the third parallel, which is now about 30 yards out, 30 yards out from the Star Fort. And they decide they're going to build a tower. It's called a Mayhem Tower. The tower is made out of wood. It's made out of logs. And they stack it up 30 feet so that you can shoot over the walls of the fort. That's the whole idea. It was invented by a guy by the name of Major Mayhem, a South Carolina militia guy. So they start this Mayhem Tower, and they complete it in one night. Got to think about that. All the trees have been cut down within a mile of the town. So they're cutting down all the trees over a mile away. They're dragging them through the trenches in the middle of the night, and they erect this fort 30 feet tall in one night, and they put sharpshooters up in it that are shooting down inside the fort. Kruger responds by putting sandbags on top of the on top of his fort. So now instead of three to six feet, now you got six to eight feet, and you just got little shooting holes for the men inside the fort as opposed to shooting over the walls. Right. Now, at the same time, Green has the idea that if he starts a fire in the town, Kruger will give up. So he has his men take arrows, load them with par pitch, light them on fire, shoot them, and try to land the arrows on top of the houses. Remember, these are wooden shingles, so he's going to set the town on fire. Kruger responds by removing all the roofs on the houses. So when the arrows come in, you just stomp them out. You don't have to worry about, worry about that. And when Kruger sees the tower, he starts heating his cannonballs for his three-pound cannon, he's going to shoot them against the tower, break up the tower, and set it on fire with these hot cannonballs. He can't get the cannonballs hot enough. 
And the fortification, the tower, is made out of green wood. Doesn't work. So that's where we're at. They're about 30 yards away. Meanwhile, Ralden has put together a force in Charlestown. He got reinforcements from Ireland. Irish troops show up on boats. There's about 4,000 of them. And he's going to take some of those troops, press the troops he has, pick up some more at Monk's Corner, and go relieve 96. He already has gotten word that Augusta has fallen. He's going to go relieve 96. So he has about 2,000 troops uh, that are headed to 96. Now, it normally took, if you had a little caravan, about nine days. It takes him a little bit longer than that, about 13 days to get there. He's taking kind of a cir circuit route because all these other forts have fallen, and he's trying to avoid a conflict. And so he heads, he heads north to 96. Ward on the 17th gets the green at Ralden's almost there. So he sends Pickens with his troops to try to intercept them, basically just to slow them down, not to fight a pitch powder, just to slow them down. He'd already sent word to Sumter. He'd sent word to Marion. Hey, you need to slow these guys down. He then also sent his, his cavalry under Washington to go south to try to intercept Ralden and just slow him down. Just slow him down. Gives a few more a few more days. Meanwhile, they've also started a tunnel. Kazusko realized they're not going to blow this fort apart. They're going to dig a tunnel, go underneath the fort, and blow it up. So at the third parallel, they go down six feet. The tunnel is three, about three and a half by three and a half. Is it still there? Still there. Really? The tunnel still exists. Of course, they've closed it off because of liability and Did all this other stuff. they reinforce the tunnel with, with No reinforcements. Like no reinforcements. Red clay. Hard red clay. Kazusko called it soft rock. <laughs> They're digging through this thing in the middle of the night, of course, with, with, with uh, candles and hauling the dirt back in baskets and up and, I mean, just unbelievable the amount of labor that went in to this star force. It's crazy. They got about 125 feet. And, of course, that's when they find out Ralden's close and they stop digging the tunnel. Meanwhile, Kruger had sent out forces just about every night or every other night harassing these guys as they're digging these trenches and digging the tunnel. Uh, Kazusko was inspecting the tunnel. He was actually down inside the tunnel, inspecting the tunnel whenever these forces showed up. He gets out of the tunnel and he's wounded before he can get down the parallel. Now, where was he wounded? He was wounded, well, I'll put it this way. The British reported in their press, in their press that Kazusko had been wounded in the seat of honor. He got bayoneted in the butt. <laughs> We laugh about it now. I mean, it wasn't too funny for him. British humor. British humor. So, by the 17th, Green's ready to leave. Ralden's too close. Mm -hmm. He's got too many troops. His guys are all worn out from digging in the hot June sun <laughs> in South Carolina. He says it's not going to work. They convince him that they need to try. They need to at least try. So, he sets it up for the 18th. At noon on the 18th, they fire the cannon. It's a signal for... for uh, Light Horse Harry Lee to also attack Holmes Fort. So Light Horse Harry Lee attacks that fort. Green picks 50 guys. They call them the Forlorn Hope. They're going to go attack this fort, try to open a, a, a section where the rest of the troops can come in, and they attack the fort. 45 minutes later, they call it off. The reason? Kruger sends guys outside the fort to come down. Remember that 10 to 20 foot trench? They come in the trench, kind of pinch these guys, that there's 50 guys that are trying to attack the fort. They kill or wound 40 of them. Green sees that this is not any good, calls it off. Meanwhile, Light Horse Harry Lee has attacked Holmes Fort on the other side, west of, the, west of 96, and has taken the fort. Why? The guy's left. 
Okay. Right. The guy, the guys left in the night, early morning. They done disappeared. Okay. So when Lighthorse shows up, there's nobody there. So then he starts shooting at the guys at the jailhouse and across the fort and stuff. But before all this happened, whenever uh, Lighthorse showed up, they finally ended the water supply. And the way they ended the water supply was, used, the ladies used to come down and get water and take it back through the trenches and stuff. And then guys started showing up and getting water. Well, they shot two of those guys. They got close enough with the rifles to shoot two of those guys. And so the water supply was limited to what the slaves could carry at night. They'd strip down the slaves, send them down to the spring with buckets to get water and bring them back for the troops. And that's what was going on then. So the siege lasted for 28 days. On the 19th, the siege ended. He uh, asked Kruger if he can come pick up his dead, to bury his dead. Uh, they exchanged prisoners. Uh, things are going on. Kruger had gotten word a couple days before that that Rawlins was on the way with the relief force. The way he got the word was there was an older gentleman used to ride up and watch on his horse. He'd just sit off to the side and watch these guys shoot at each other. Mm -hmm. Then one day they, they noticed that his horse was kind of drifting towards the town. Next thing you know, the guy grabs the reins, kicks the horse, and heads to the town. Of course, they tried to shoot him before he got to the town. He brought word to Kruger about four days before, letting him know that Rawlins was on his way and that he had 2,000 troops. A loyalist. He was a loyalist. Wow. So Ralden had already stocked the fort with 30 days of provisions. Now, all these people had showed up, all the loyalists had showed up, and brought food and stuff with them, of course, animals and other things. And so provisions were getting slim, but they weren't completely out of provisions. And, of course, the slaves were providing water. By the 19th, though, the, the siege was ended. The 20th, Green leaves. What Kruger did, he refused Green to come to get the the bodies and stuff because he really didn't want him to see the fortifications that close up. So he rounded up the bodies and gave them back to Green along with the wounded and uh, exchanged the prisoners. So Green takes off back up the Island Ford Road away from Rawlin, who's coming in the Charlestown Road, which is connects with the Island Ford Road. Uh, you said Island Ford Road. Island Ford Road, yeah. That's the one that heads back over towards Correct. Camden. Correct. Okay. Goes over to Saluda and then Camden ends up over towards which we Camden. we think, we were talking prior to the episode, we think that might be Closest to Highway 34. Correct. Maybe. Correct. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. It follows along the same path. Yeah. Along the same path. Rawlin arrives on the 21st, of course. He gives chase. Mm -hmm. He leaves part of his force there, and part of the force chases Green. But, of course, Green's got enough head start. He keeps crossing them rivers. <laughs> and Rawlin finally gives up. He says, I'm not going to do this. And turns around and goes back to 96. Now, he'd been harassed a little bit coming up from Charlestown, but uh, most of his force made it. Uh, the biggest casualties that he got was from heat. The Irish troops, when they got off the boat, were still wearing the wool, winter wool uniforms. Oh, and they didn't have summer uniforms. And so these guys had marched to 96 in June in their wool uniforms, and they said 50 to 70 of them died of heat stroke. And as we're talking here today in June, <laughs> it's 105 outside. So Give you an idea. Yeah. Yeah. You just can't. There's just no way. He finally gets war to Kruger. Abandon the fort. <laughs> he says, I'm leaving. I'm taking some of my troops with me, about a thousand with me. I'm going to leave the rest of them here, destroy everything. And that's exactly what they did. Of course, they couldn't destroy the star fort, 10 to 12 foot of red clay. Not going to happen. Right. They leave the star fort, but knock in the sandbags, fill in the trenches, burn everything that they can. Everything made out of wood is burnt. And, and Kruger offers the loyalists the opportunity to go with them. I'm curious as the archaeological digs at the Star Fort later on, did you actually find the sandbags? No. Well, 
it had mixed, the farmers had farmed that land all except for the, the oh. fort itself. Oh. They had turned that back into farmland. Right. And so some of that stuff had been planted. But they could still tell where the trenches were because of the way the ground, with that penetration you. stuff right. that they get. Now, the problem with doing uh, archaeological dig, I'm told, at 96 is the red clay. The red clay has iron in it. So all of their equipment, which basically detects metal, oh, unless you have yeah. a big piece of metal, it's kind of masked by the iron content of the soil. Oh. And so they have a hard time at going and picking things out until they actually dig it up right. and filter it with a you know light like that. So it's a little more of a challenge for the archaeologists to dig. So by July, second week in July, Kruger's packed up and gone. All the loyalists are gone. Green, of course, doesn't come back to 96 because there's nothing there anymore. He does uh, tell Pickens, you need to stay in the area just to let everybody know and the loyalists that are around that there's a force here. Meanwhile, uh, Green takes his, his troops to the Santees, the hill at the Santees because it's cooler. And uh, he says, we need a rest. We've been digging long enough. We need a rest. Right. So he takes everybody over there and kind of sets up camp at the Santee. So... What happened here from there? The town of 96, after the war in 1783, is rebuilt. Except it's not rebuilt on the original town site. They actually built it where Holmes Fort was at, across the spring to the west. They take over the field, that whole field, because it was a loyalist farm. It's now been confiscated by the Congress. Okay. And they said, we still need 96 because it's the district headquarters. We need to have a courthouse. We need to have a jail. They build a town, about 300 people, grows to about 300 people. Uh, there's a college. 1785, they bring up a college, is chartered to be, to, uh, be established at 96. Once they bring the college in, they ask the townspeople, what would you like to call the college? And they name the college Cambridge. <laughs> Do you think there's any loyalists? <laughs> there's a few still. Still in the area. So the town, after they named the college Cambridge, said, this is really dumb. We need to change our name too. Change their name to Cambridge. So if you look up the town of Cambridge in South Carolina, you're not going to find it. The only place that existed was where 96 had originally been. This third 96 had okay. been created in 1783. 1787, of course, is when they changed the names. 1800, judicial district is abolished because all the towns above them now want government in their own areas. They don't want to have to come to Cambridge to go to jail. They don't want to come to Cambridge to file the papers. They start breaking up into counties. Okay. So all these counties start growing up, have their own governments. Cambridge kind of loses its importance. The college in 1803 closes. The the, uh, How many students did they have? They had about 100 initially. By 1803, they had none. Okay. And so they closed the college. Some say the college moved to Newbury, but okay. I, I don't know that for sure. By 1815, at 1815, they had a flu epidemic. Most of the people in the town died. Had a real bad flu epidemic. Nobody wants to come to a town that has a flu epidemic or had a flu epidemic. So a lot of the townspeople... The town is just slowly disappearing, 1850. So you're telling me that at this town they had a smallpox epidemic that killed a whole bunch of people in one battle, and then after the Revolutionary War, the flu killed everybody? Yeah, afterwards. Afterwards. That's now, in 1852, a railroad goes north of Cambridge. Okay. They wanted to come through Cambridge. Railroad goes where the easiest is to go and the safest and all that other stuff. So two miles north, they put the railroad. Two Cambridge. miles north of Cambridge, or two miles north of where 96 the historic site is. The, uh, the new town grows up. The new town is called Lodi, the town of Lodi. If you ever look up the town of Lodi, you're not going to find that either. 
The town of Lodi grows up around the railroad tracks, the intersection there, everything else. The town of Lodi grows to the point where they need a, a post office. Spell Lodi. L-O-D-I. Okay. Is there a, there a particular reason why it's named Lodi? No clue. Okay. No yeah, clue. Fair enough. The town of Lodi needs a post office. Well, the town of Cambridge has a post office. But the post office at the town of Cambridge is called 96. Why? Because when they established the town, they said we're going to put a post office there. Federal government. They called the federal government, sent an application, said we need a post office at 96. The federal government gave them a post office. took a while. But they'd already changed their name to Cambridge. But they forgot to tell the post postal service that they changed their name. So when the sign showed up, the sign said 96. Post Office 96. They hadn't done the paperwork, and so that's what they put on the building. Post Office 96 at Cambridge. Well, Cambridge is closing down. Everybody's gone. The little town of Lodi needs a post office. They don't need a post office at Cambridge anymore. They closed the post office at Cambridge in 1860, moved that post office to Lodi. Now, you would think they would change the name of the post office to Lodi. No, that's too smart. Federal government, don't want to do that. We've already got a sign. Established a post office 96 at the town of Lodi. The townspeople of Lodi said, this is dumber and dirt. We're going to change our name, change it to 96. Four 96s. That is the end. That's why the original town of 96, the Port 96, is not actually in 96. What a great story, man. Now, if they were to come to 96, what would they find? 96 has a uh, national park took it over in the 70s. Uh, they have a wonderful visitor center. They show a 20-minute film that basically talks about what I just talked about. They have a, a small museum that you can go in and look. They have the three trails. They have the, uh, the circular trail that basically starts at the visitor center, ends at the visitor center. It is paved. Uh, it's up and down. I mean, it's like rolling hills type thing. It takes you by where both battles were fought. Uh, it takes you by the Star Fort. It takes you by Holmes Fort, which they've recreated. It takes you by where the first 96 was and you walk beside where this where the third 96 was the uh, there is a trail that follows the old charlestown road those roads are still there uh, they've cleared them and, and they're just indentations in the ground basically and, and they're pretty wide well when you say pretty wide how wide are they 70 feet 70 feet? and the reason they're 70 feet they weren't originally 70 feet but in uh, 1750 uh congress or the legislature down in charleston said they needed to widen the roads and so they sent people up to widen the roads and, of course, what's going through our minds, bulldozers and, and things like that. No, no, no. These guys with axes, all they did was cut down the trees right. <laughs> on, on the sides. That's how you widen the road. There was nothing put down. They just cut the trees down so people can pass. And they also passed a law. The law was if you were driving a wagon, you had to stay to the right on that road so that people who were riding horses and walking could pass you on the left. It was a law back in the 1700s. They still had traffic jams, I guess, back then. Other things at the park, we also have original Cherokee Trail. There's a mm -hmm. Cherokee Trail that they've preserved that you can go down and walk that Cherokee Trail, and it goes for a couple of miles through the woods. Mm -hmm. It goes pretty close to where Gowdy's Trading Post was. There's a trail, uh, a path that goes down there. You follow the Charlestown Road, go off the path around where Gowdy's place was. It's marked with posts that shows where the post, where we think the trading post was. And then you go past the cemetery where your son's buried and things like that. Uh, there is a, a, farm, a farmhouse there two-story log house that was built in the 1780s that uh, uh, was moved from Greenwood. When the Greenwood Historical Society had it, uh, we're told that there was this farmhouse there that these people was tearing down a house and they found this thing underneath the house. <laughs> underneath the house they were tearing down. It had been covered with siding and everything right. else. And so they said, yes, we'd like to have it. 
put it on a flatbed truck and took it down to the park and erected it down there at the park. And that's kind of a, 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 a model for them. Now, there's several events throughout the year. They kind of have a crossroads events in the spring where they bring in uh, reenactors and people that, that can do that. They uh, have several events during the summer for kids. Uh, they have stargazing. Uh, they have a pond that they inherited from a, a cotton mill that had moved away, and you, you can actually go and fish there as long as you got a fishing license and stuff, which is on the other side of the, of the park. The park is 1,000 thousand acres. They've got horse trails. You can bring in your horse and uh, ride these horse paths uh, throughout the park, the back part of the park. And, uh, I mean, it's just got a lot to do. How would they find you? The, the park is uh, 96 National Historic Site. If you go to that website, uh, they have listing of events that, are, that occur on a regular basis. Um, as far as location, if you go to the town of 96 and come south, about two miles, you'll find the park. Very good. It's a beautiful park, and it is actually a historic crossroads in many respects. Listen, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. You're welcome. <laughs>